Hey, what's up, everybody? This your boy, State State of the New York Knicks Podcast. This podcast episode featured my guy, the OG Sim for Nothing But Knicks Podcast. Gave me great insight, man. Spoke about his life. Spoke about where his love for coaching, where his love for basketball, where his love for the Knicks came from. We spoke about Julius Randle. And also, he gave me an overall... Uh, summary about how he feel on the team. So, tune in. Shout outs to everybody that be tuning in. Shout outs to Nick Nation, man. Love y'all, man. I'm out of here. Peace. Hey, what's up? What's up, everybody? It's your boy, State. The State of the New York Knicks podcast, episode 116. And I have a special guest in the building tonight because for me personally, I've been waiting for this episode for about like three, four months. And I've been waiting for you to become a guest on my podcast finally. But I got Sim, nothing but Nick's in the building. How's you doing, OG? How's your family? I'm chilling, man. How you holding up with this chaotic day, man? I'm chilling, man. I'm chilling. I'm chilling. Hopefully everybody with you and your family is safe. Everybody's good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, what'd you say this chaotic day? <laughs> yo <laughs> go ahead yo i mean you know with this guy in office it's been a chaotic day every day so you know what i mean <laughs> uh, i'm kind of used to it by now you know you you know this guy is gonna do anything say anything at any time so i think i'm kind of used to it used to this uh, uh, understandable i mean og you way older than me so i know you experienced more hell on this earth than I have. So God bless you. (laughs) Especially dealing with the Knicks. Yeah, (laughs) especially dealing with the Knicks. It's been a lot of pain. A lot of pain with the Knicks, man. But I love it, though. It's good pain. I put it like that. It's good pain. (laughs) No no problem, man. And it's crazy because it goes right into my first segment. Because I got five questions for you. I mean, you know, I, I had to get a couple notes for this, but the, the first question starts with, you know, coaching, because you always talk about your coach. You always talk about you, you got the coaching corner um coaches corner segment on your YouTube mm-hmm. channel. So I appreciate you for that. Um, I want to know, when did you start coaching? Uh, where did that love come from? Um, where did your love for basketball come from? Like, was it a family thing? And I want to know, because. I grew up in Harlem and I was in a program called Harlem Children's Zone. Okay. So I, I, I took very, like I took a lot of joy in coaching kids that was about six, seven years old. And we used to do flag football and basketball. So I took I took a love to that. So that was one of the reasons why I wanted to do a podcast because I love talking. I love talking about the game of basketball. So I want to know where did your love for coaching and basketball start from? I I, I want to. I'm very interested. Yeah. Well, you know, my first love was boxing. That's what's crazy about oh, it. That was wow. that was my first love because I grew up. I grew up in upstate New York. I was right outside of Albany. Right. I was in Catskill, New York. And if you know anything about Catskill, if you've heard of it at all, besides just hearing of the Catskill Mountains. You know, Mike Tyson was I, in Catskill, New York. Real quick, I'm, real quick, I went to um SUNY SUNY Dale High, so that was around okay. that area in SUNY Oneonta. So yeah, I, I know. Yeah, okay, okay. So you know, Mike Tyson was in Catskill. 
Right? Oh, I didn't. Yeah, know that my, Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was in Catskill, and I lived right next door to the gym where he trained. I mean, right next door. You know, there was a building. There was a building across across the street from me that had a big mural of Mike Tyson. And every day, I'd go through the little alleyway up to the gym, and I'd go in there and watch him train and be me, some of my friends, my cousin, uh, a couple of my cousins, actually. And we go in there and watch him train every day, every day, right? And, and they let us jump rope. They let us hit the weights a little bit. Um, you know, just just do some stuff in there. They just let us in and do some stuff. And you know he'd you know he'd be training, sparring, knocking people out, blah blah blah. And every day though, we would try to get in the ring. We you know obviously that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to get in the ring. Yeah, <laughs> of course. And, 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 and yeah, right. You know, you know we see Tyson knocking everybody out. It was like yo, we want to give it. A, we want to give it a go. And one day, I was the last person there. Oh, and I sat down. <laughs> I sat down with uh, Kevin Rooney. Kevin Rooney is—he was Mike Tyson's trainer. I, I sat down with Kevin Rooney, and I was because there's a little stage in there. And I asked him. I was like, "Yo," well, I didn't say "yo" back then, but I, I asked him. I said, "How come you never let us get in the gym, and get in the ring?" And he said, "Well, you first got to learn how to defend yourself before you can get in the ring. Before I can let you get in the ring, you got to know how to defend yourself." And he said, do you you want to get in the ring? I was like, yeah. He said, well, look, I'm going to write this letter and I'm going to ask your mother, can you can you train? Can I train you? I was like, oh, man, I was hyped. I was like, oh, damn, I'm about to. I didn't even think anything about it being Mike Tyson because it's like we've seen him every day. We've seen him every day. So I, I wasn't even thinking in that vein because we've seen him every day. We were always there. And I was just like, damn, I'm about to train. I went home, gave a note to my mother. She wrote something back. I don't. I didn't really know what she wrote back. All right. The next day at the school, I'm on the way up to the gym, and I grabbed the letter. So obviously on the way to the gym, jumping through the alleyway, I look at it, and it says, no, let your own son get beat up. <laughs> and that's just the type of person that my mother is. Now I was like, oh, my gosh, why she say that? You know what I'm saying? Like, why she say that? And and you know, I, I was hurt. I still went to the gym every day, but I was just a little bit hurt because I wanted to, you know, what I'm saying I wanted to train. So after that, we ended up moving uh, to another place, you know. And, and I was always part of the boys and girls club, so I played some basketball and stuff at the boys and girls club. Uh, but boxing was what I loved. We went to uh, the boys and girls club where, where I was didn't have boxing. I moved to another place, the Boys and Girls Club there. It didn't have boxing either. That's the first thing I asked them. You guys got boxing? No, they didn't have boxing. Wow. Right? So they did have basketball. You know what I mean? So I just I just played. And soon, and pretty soon, that's all I did is play basketball. And I forgot about, I didn't forget about boxing, but you know, I was no longer interested in boxing. Uh-huh. So so that's where I really started. That's where I really started playing basketball. The interest first came from one. Now, now the where the love came from is something a little bit different, right? Because I really hold basketball dear to my heart. And there was a time in my life when there was a time in my life from 
I mean, from probably the fifth grade, fourth and fifth grade on up to till I was a sophomore in high school when like things were real rough. You know what I'm saying? With, with my mother, we bounced yeah. around from spot to spot. You know what I mean? Constantly, we were constantly on the move. This apartment, that apartment, you know, this this city, this town, right? Just popping around all over the place. And we hit this one stretch. You know, my mother has some, you know, some some things of her own that, you know, I, I really I won't divulge. But, you know, uh-huh. we hit a really, really rough stretch. My stepfather was in prison. Um, that's an, that's a whole that's a whole another story for another day. It's it's crazy, real quick, OJ. Mm-hmm. It's crazy how you say these things, right? And I could relate right to you because, you know, I was a person who grew up, and my mother moved from house to house. She was she like it was to a point where she had to go into a shelter, stuff like that, and I had to go with her because you know when you got to go with somebody to get the apartment, you got to show that you have kids. So right. I could really relate to how you used basketball as an outlet to, you know, exp- express your feelings besides your family. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's what it was. That's what it was. Cause there was a point my, my, my stepfather went to prison. Uh, and then, you know, my mother was, you know, she was, she was struggling trying to make it. It was her, me and my brother. And, that, and, and my mother was the type, she would go up, come down, go up, come down. Right, she was doing she was doing real good for a spell, and you know I I, I was I was playing basketball. I was playing basketball in high school, um, and then things really took a turn. My stepfather had he had something he had a disease in his leg, and while he was in prison, he went to the hospital, and. You know, they gave him the option. Now he loved basketball too. They gave him the option. They said, You can you can cut it off or you we can try to save it. Obviously, he wanted to try to save his leg. They tried to save the leg. He came home from prison. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, every night, like I, I mean, you know, I'm playing basketball, but I'm home trying to help care for his leg, you know, do all you know, bunch of stuff. Like changing, like, you know, we had to change the gauze on his leg. I mean, like his leg was, I mean, all you could see was, all you could see was muscle in his leg. It was was crazy. It was crazy. Right. All you could see was muscle in his leg. So me and my brother, my younger brother, you know, every night we changed, changed the gauze to help keep it clean. We'd sit, we watched the Knicks games. He was a Lakers fan, but we watched the Knicks, you know, basketball on TV. My mother getting mad, you know what I'm saying? Because we watching basketball and this and that. You know, and then <laughs> yeah, you know, and then one day she came home, right? And he was he was a little bit delusional. Like, you know, he went to prison for some things, but he was the most kind-hearted person you could meet. You know what I mean? He was cool. He didn't curse around me or my mother. He was just that was just how he was. And she came home one day. I don't know. Can can I curse on this? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, he came home one day, and or she came home one day from work, and you know he was he was on the couch and he started calling her a bitch and this and that and, and the other thing. And she knew she was like, "Yo, this is not him. This is not this is not him. Something's not right." So she called 
the nurse, the nurse came, they brought him to the hospital and they said the poison, it didn't, they didn't get it all out of his leg because he had what's called gangrene. They didn't get it all out of his leg and it spread to his brain. And that was, that's why he was having these type of, you know, that's why he was having those type of cognitive breakdowns, you know, the way he was having it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was crazy. So he was, you know, he was, he went, and this happened like maybe, this was maybe two, two and a half to three months after he came home from prison. And then he was in the hospital. Um, He was in Albany Medical Center. He was in the hospital. And one night, so whenever, when, when my stepfather wasn't there, right, we slept, we, we, we lived in this, in a, in a, a projects of, it was like, there was, some of them were, were row houses, some of them were buildings, um, you know, some of them apartments, whatever, and we had one of the row houses and we all slept. If he wasn't there, we all slept in the living room on the floor. My mother slept on the couch. Me and my brother would sleep on the floor just to keep her safe. She had this big giant, big ass kitchen knife that she kept under the pillow just in case somebody tried to break in the house. You know what I'm saying? And, and, um, you know, we didn't have a phone or nothing like that. So we would use the neighbor's phone and, one night, 3.30 in the morning, she comes, bop, bop, bop. She's knocking on the door. And in my, man, my head, I, I kind of automatically know I'm like, no, there's no reason that my mother needs to get a phone call at 3.30 in the morning. Right? So I answer the door and I go, I said, Mom, you got a phone call. I kind of know already. She goes and gets the call. She comes back in and I can hear her sob. And then she tells me, you know, he passed away. And from 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 that point, man... You know, after we did, you know, took care of funeral, all that kind of stuff, my mother really went into a depression. You know, things got real, real rough. You know, she lost her job. Uh, I mean, we were at a point where, you know, half, you know, I look in the freezer. I mean, there's nothing in the freezer but ice. You know, say, you know, we might have, you know, we might have some bread, some rice. I mean, we, I mean, it was, it was rough. You know, what I mean, I. Brad was syrup. Yo, I know. yo, it was it was rough. A lot of times, I was going to friends' house. Me and my brother would go to a close friends' house and eat at friends' house. You know what I mean? And so during this time, it was basketball that really got me through. Like basketball has really kept me kept me straight because I had plenty of people. You know, it's a lot of predators out there. You know what I'm saying? So plenty of people could look and see my situation and know the situation of my mother and say, you know what? Let me offer this little let me offer this little brother something and see if I can get him to work for me. You know what I'm saying? So there was a lot of predators out there and would approach me like, yo, let me show you how to do this. Let me show you how to do that. I know you're struggling at home, blah, blah, blah. You know, but I was intent on making the NBA. As naive as I was, I was intent on making it in the NBA. And I was like, yo, if I do this, I have no chance at it. So I spent all my time at the basketball court, all of my time. You know what I'm saying? I get up in the morning before school. Not all the time. A lot of times, though, I get up in the morning before school and go play. I might shovel off the court. There's snow on it and play. 
if there wasn't basketball practice, I stay out at the court till like midnight. You know what I'm saying? People yelling at me to get off the court. You know what I mean? Like basketball was my refuge and, and, and helped me escape from all of that because it wasn't just that, you know, it ended up being like crazy wild people at my house, you know what I'm saying? Doing God knows what. And, yeah. you know, I needed to escape that. And basketball was my escape. And as with basketball being my escape, the New York Knicks were my escape too because, you know, when, when games were on, I'm sitting, if we didn't have cable, I'm listening to Walt Clyde Frazier call the game. If we did have cable, most of the time if we had cable, we were stealing the cable. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we were stealing that junk. You know what I mean? So, yeah, the black cable box. So, so there was a cable at the place I'm talking about right now. There was a cable wire that went right outside our window, right? Because it went right, you know, like I said, it was row houses. So they had the cable connected to the building going straight down over top of everybody's window. You know what I mean? So I became a pro at it. I knew exactly what I was doing. I went right outside there, cut it. My mother knew. You know what I'm saying? She told me, go cut that wire and get that cable in here. So cut the wire, boom, boom, hooked it up. Now we got cable. Basic cable, but that's all I needed to watch the Knicks. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, it's all I needed. You know what I mean? And then, of course, you know, if the cable people came around, you had to run outside real quick, unhook your wire. You know what I mean? And and act like you ain't doing nothing. Pretty soon they found ways to bypass people stealing cable and all that. Uh, but, you know, I would I would just soak into the Knicks playing basketball. You know what I mean? So the Knicks became like, you know, with just basketball itself, the Knicks became another place that I... I, I I would seek refuge and, and, and a way to escape the reality that was around me. So I have a, a, a deep just love for the Knicks. You know what I mean? It, it, it's crazy. It, it's crazy how you – because this segue right into my next question. I'm glad you said all of that. But right before, it's crazy how you said Gang Green. And I had called Gang Green in my finger when I was eight years mm. old because I used to bite my fingers mm-hmm. a lot. And I was in my mother's house and like my arm, my left arm couldn't move. So she had to call the hospital. And then when I finally went to the hospital, I was in there. They put wild IVs in my arm. It, it, it was crazy. So I know that whole experience wow. was, was, was crazy. I, I'm, I'm glad you shared yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I, I and and all of that. so, you know, the, the way that my stepfather caught it, I guess it's a wild story. So there was this house I was in Utica, New York, right? There was this house mm-hmm. and everybody, like, if we walked past the house, you would see all this white powder outside the house. There was a fence and you would see white powder along the fence all along the porch. And he told me the story. He was like, well, what happened is, well, he said, this lady's always had white powder outside the house and she claimed to be a witch. Right? <laughs> it's crazy. Yo, this is a true story, bro. This is a true story. And he, he claimed that she, uh, you know, she claimed to be a witch. You know what I mean? So he said when he was younger, one day he went up on the porch because there was an apple tree in her yard. Right? And he went up on the porch and grabbed the apple. And when he was running off the porch, he tripped down the steps and fell. He said she came out because 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 
Like she came out, caught him grabbing an apple. He tried to run away. He tripped. When he fell, he said she pointed her fingers at him. And I don't know what words she said, but basically she said, I'm casting a spell over you and you will die because of your legs. Oh, dead ass. Dead ass. That's what he. And this was this was before. You know, he had, you know, the gang green in his leg. Mm. Yep, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. Yo, that that's crazy. Cause man, I know the feeling personally. That ain't nothing to play with. I'm telling you right now, I could not move my left arm. Mm. But it, it's crazy how you said. You know, you talked about your love for the Knicks, and I'm glad it segues right into my next question because me being 30 years old, OG, I never got the chance to experience the 90s Knicks the way I want to because when they was really good, I was in my – I was baby years. Yeah. So, you know, you spoke about a part of why you became a Knicks fan. But um, I also want to know, when was the first – when was the first game, Nick game you attended? Like, what was the first Nick game you attended? And then – what is the? I know this is going to be a tough question, a part of this, but what is the toughest heartbreak you had to deal with with the '90s Knicks? Mm. And sidebar to that question is: if the Knicks didn't trade Mark Jackson and still kept Charlie Ward, would we have le- at least one championship during the '90s? Mm. So let me start from the beginning. Those are some good questions. Um, <laughs> good questions. Oh, what was the first one again? The first one, the first one was when was your? What was the first Knicks game? Yeah, the first Knicks attended? game. The first Knicks game I ever attended when I was young. We couldn't afford. I couldn't afford to attend any Knicks games. Uh, I the first time I attended a Knicks game, I was older to tell you the truth. I was in my thirties, and me and some buddies we bought some tickets to go watch the Knicks Lakers. Lakers won, but that was the first first. It was at the Garden. That was the first game. I don't I don't remember exactly uh, what year it was. You know what I mean? But yeah, I, you know, I didn't get. I, I wasn't able to go see a Nick game until I was older. So you know, I, I definitely cher- I've been to a bunch of them now, but I definitely cherished that moment. And these were two of my best friends, so uh, you know, it, it was it was nice to be able to. You know, just go chill, hang with them, watch the game, uh, regardless if the Knicks won or lost. You know, it was a nice memory. Nice memory. Yeah. Nah. Don't don't worry. I I my first Knicks game that I attended was back in uh twenty fourteen. Mm-hmm. And Carmelo Anthony is probably one of the reasons why like I'm deeply in love with the Knicks. Um, till this day, because that was like the Carmelo Anthony trade, like sold it for me. So I know that feeling of going inside of the garden. And the one thing, when I ask you about the question about the '90s Knicks era and your, your toughest heartbreak, is because when you in the Madison Square Garden and you're near the court, you can feel the intensity. Yeah. Like you can feel the fans staring at you. So I know whose heart is pumping and 
who needs to be your dog when it comes inside when it comes to playing inside Madison Square Garden. But the toughest heartbreak you had huh. during the '90s mix ever. I I, I gotta know. I, I mean, there's know. a couple of them. Obviously, there's a couple of them, right? Uh, I, I would I, I think number one for me is when the Knicks win the finals and they lost to the Rockets. John Starks shot us out of the game. You know what I'm saying? That game seven. You know, that right there was the toughest one because, I mean, the Knicks were up in the series and they let the Rockets come back. And they let the Rockets come back and win in Houston. It was painful, bro. It, it, it was, it was definitely painful. You know, uh, let me see. Number two, number two for me is when Ewing, Ewing missed the layup versus Indiana. He should have oh, dunked Jesus. it. He should have dunked it. Right? That's 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 the way I probably. He should have yes. dunked that joint. That was painful too. That was real painful because they should have been going back to the NBA Finals. Yeah. Is that one? Is that one more painful than 1997? Because I got a I got a coworker. He's an OG as well. And he always tell me the 1997 New York Knicks was the best team in the NBA. It was nice. Year. It was nice. 1997 New York Knicks, Larry Johnson, Allen Houston. Of course, Pat Ewing was on the squad. They had a team. That I think 1997 was the team uh, where everybody got suspended in the playoffs, right? Yep. Yeah, that that yep. that was that was a that was a heartbreak, man, because Basically, the Knicks were a product of – I don't want to say there was innocent bystanders, you know what I'm saying, because obviously the Knicks were always in a melee, right? The 90s Knicks, you know, it was – I mean, you can watch brawls. You can go on YouTube and just watch brawls of the 90s Knicks, you know, getting into fights with Chicago, Indiana, uh, Miami, you know what I mean, like brawls, straight-up brawls all over the court. You know, so they were part of the reason that they, you know, implemented some of these suspension rules and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And, and you know, just watching the game, boom, P.J. Par- Carlissimo, he scoop slams Charlie Ward. I'm like, oh, like, that's a playground move right there. You know what I'm saying? He scooped him. Hey, bomb. I was like, oh. I mean, like, the way he scooped him, it was no doubt that people was going to jump in and try to, you know, it, it was it was going to be a breakout fight because he scoop slammed them like you do somebody on the playground. Scoop them, bomb, and that that's it. It wasn't a push. You fighting. There's no matter. I don't care where you are. You fighting after that. You know what I'm saying? The way yeah, yeah. Nah, you got to fight. You know what I mean? And, and, and like Pat Ewing, all he did was step on the court. Like he just stood up and stepped his foot on the court. He didn't even go out there because they put the rule in that if someone gets into a fight, if you leave the bench, automatically get suspended, right? So Pat Ewing, all he did is really is stand up, you know, take a, you know, step a foot on the court. He got suspended. I think, uh, of course, Charlie Ward got suspended. I think LJ got suspended. Like, all these dudes were suspended, and the Knicks couldn't make – the Knicks were up 3-1 in the series. 3-1 in the series, man. And and no other team in that Eastern Conference could have beat the Bulls Except for that, except for that team, it's the only team that could have beat the Bulls. You know what I'm saying? Miami went there and got blown out the water. Yeah, so that that was definitely a painful one because that Knicks team, they was ready. 
They was ready to go, man. Oh, oh man. And, and the last part of this question, so I could go on to everybody's favorite person, Julius Randle. <laughs> um, if, if the Knicks... <laughs> if the Knicks didn't trade Mark Jackson and kept Charlie Ward, do we win the championship in the 90s? Wow. I asked you this because I asked the old genius like last week, and he was like, yeah, we could have in 91, but he said that Mark Jackson and, um, you know, Mark Jack you keep Mark Jackson, you keep um, Rod Strickland, or you keep Charlie Ward, Two out of the three, he said that they would have definitely won a championship in the 90s. So that's the reason why I had to ask you that question. You know, so, you know, if the Knicks, I don't know. I don't remember where Charlie Ward came in the draft and all of that. I have to go back and check that out. Uh, when you talk about, I mean, in 91, the Knicks played the Bulls. They got eliminated by the Bulls in 1991, I think. Um, yep. In the first round of the playoffs, I think. As a matter of fact, I remember, I think Johnny Newman was on that team. And I remember crying because Johnny Newman came down on a fast break and he shot this three. And I think, and, and, and I don't know if that was 91. Maybe it wasn't 91. He shot this three where he should have went in for the layup. And the Knicks got eliminated. I was crying. My mother was like, what are you crying for? I was like, they just got eliminated from the playoffs. She was like, oh, they play again. I was like, not until next year. Like, she didn't get it. You know what I mean? But if they would have kept Mark Jackson, I, I just yeah, don't trade him. Excuse me, I meant to say Rod Strickland. Excuse me, my my fault. I, I think I meant to say Rod. Strickland. If they would have kept Rod Strickland, yeah, not trading Mark Jackson. They would have kept Rod Strickland. Yeah. If you would have kept one of those guys, let's just say that, I think your chances would have been much better. You know what I mean? Because what the Knicks have struggled with. Ever since Mark Jackson, Rod Strickland, wanted, you know, ever since them guys have been gone, it's a point guard, a guy that could lead the way. You had Derek Harper. Charlie Ward did an admirable job, I could say that, in the 90s, right? Charlie Ward did what he had to do in the 90s. You know, he was tough-nosed. He could play some defense. You know, he wasn't going to score a bunch. You know, someone like Mark Jackson, though, I think really – really changes the landscape of that team. Rod Strickland, too. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and the Knicks haven't had a steady point guard to just hold it down ever since then. Not, yeah, ever since not, then. not from for the last 20 years. I think, I think for the last 20 years of my life, since I've been 10 years old, I've probably seen one full season of good point guard play from the Knicks. And that was probably in 2013, 2014 with Jason Kidd and those right. boys. But I, I think it was probably one year. And it's crazy how you bring up point guards because look, I love when you talk about Julius Randle on your channel. Mm -hmm. I, I, I love it. I love it. Because it, it this all ties into the, this next question. Because I hear when people say, well, Julius Randle had RJ Clapper for the ball. You instantly shuts them down every time. Instantly. Mm -hmm. And the narrative around Julius Randle is that we didn't have a point guard. They put too much on his plate. He's inefficient. He takes too many dumb threes. He does too many mistakes with the ball. What what is what is your overall take 
on Julius Randle. And, you know, watching the coach's corner and how you, you know, you individually have players on your channel. You scouted each of them and the way you want to tip to use them. What is your personal opinion on Julius Randle and how the Knicks, you know, dealt with him last season and, and the, t- the type of environment he was in? Yeah. Well, see, I think the the environment that was created last year, what it seems like now and what it seems like now when you look back on it, it was just too loose of an environment. The players, mm. if you're going to have a team, you got to have, you got to have, you got to have rules. You got to have some discipline. You know, it can't be this fun loving place. Right? It can't be like going to Disney World every time you go to practice. That's what it seemed like it was with, with the Knicks. And, and it, it stems from David Fisdale, in my opinion. Right? That's the <laughs> culture that he created. Right? He created that kind of culture. And yep. if you notice, I mean, you haven't heard, you know, people talk about, you know, everybody was wilding out, you know, in the news, Stephen A. Smith, all these guys about David Fisdale being fired. He doesn't have a job right now. And there's been openings all over the NBA. Nope. Right? He does doesn't even have, have an job. assistant coaching job. Nope. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, but but that's the kind of culture that he created where, you know, guys can kind of just go go on unstructured, I feel like, and then it transfers to the court. And someone like Julius Randle, I feel like, obviously I don't know him personally, but just watching the way he is on the court, I feel like he needs that structure. He needs that person that's going to say, no, you can't do this. No, don't do that. I, I feel like they tried to make, they tried to say, you know what? We're going to put the ball in his hands and treat him like he's a LeBron light, right? LeBron Jr. or something like that. And it wasn't going to work. Yeah. He had not shown throughout his career that he has that kind of basketball acumen. So I don't think that they really used him right. And and one thing about a basketball team is you you set up you begin your habits at in the beginning of a season, and and people you know people laugh at me when I say this, but it really is true. When you have those training camps, you're building habits, and a lot of times those habits last throughout the season, right? And it's hard to break that course once you start building certain kinds of habits. And they began the season building. Uh, uh, the habit of letting Julius Randle be or treating Julius Randle like he was the guy. He was the man from the early press conferences all the way up until David Fisdale was let go. And then, you know, with Mike Miller, it still was kind of, you know, Julius Randle is our guy, right? Where instead of just creating this type of system where nobody cares about who gets what nobody cares about the accolades and it's hard you can't make a person not care about the accolades but you can say this is what our system is about this is what our standards are about and we you know we're going to eat together we're going to win together you know what i mean and from the beginning of the season it wasn't said like that it was like oh yeah we think he can make the all-star team it's in his contract it was in his contract for him to, you know, if you made the all-star team, you get this type of a bonus. If you 
made the all defensive team, you get this kind of a bonus. So it would set it was set up for him to kind of try to be the man. Right. And I think that was the wrong approach. And from the beginning of the season, he really tried hard to be the guy, to be the point forward. And that's not what he is. You know what I mean? That's that's not what he is. And if you want him to grow to be that, I can understand if you say, you know, this is where we would like to see you. But I don't think you force it. You play where he is, and then maybe you add a few things here and there. You give him a chance to advance the ball up the floor. You give him a chance two or three times a game uh, to be that point forward, you know, so that it grows in and goes in slowly. Instead, they kind of created this these habits from the beginning of the season, and they never honed it in, right? Mike Miller tried to hone it in, and you've seen Julius Randle play better under Mike Miller because he was doing something he was a little bit more used to. There was a little bit more control. Now, you didn't really have a great point guard out there to really direct traffic on the floor, right? I mean, Frank Nilekina is a quiet dude. If Julius Randle says, give me the ball, he's probably going to give it to him. He's older, right? He's older. Yeah, he's been in the league, you know, five five years, six years or something like that. You know, people, you know, everyone is going to look and say, yeah, well, if you're this type of player, then you have this kind of mindset. Yo, that's bullcrap. They're still human beings and they're still kids growing up. You know what I mean? If you've ever really been a kid going out on the court and balling, and you got all the older dudes out there. If the if someone on your team wants the ball, you might not want to give it to them. You're like, all right. You know what I'm saying? You give them the ball. Because, <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how it goes. Until you build that confidence and you grow and you and you, you know, you grab that respect on your team. That's how it's good. That's that's how it is. You know what I'm saying? So it takes some time for the Franklin Lakinas and them guys to build that kind of respect. Right, you had Alfred Payton, who they, with you know Julius Randle, that was his boy. He was gonna, that was his boy, you know. And that's who, and, and more than that, that's who he trusted the most, as far as who's gonna be able to score the basketball. So I think you get a point guard in that is a veteran and understands the game of basketball, uh, knows how to, uh, you know, direct traffic on the floor, and can really be the extension of the coach. I think you're going to see a totally different Julius Randle if you get a player like that. You know what I'm saying? Because that, to me, is what Julius Randle needs. A coach like Tom Thibodeau, who is going to be strict, who's going to have structure, who is going to be like, you're going to do it my way or your way is going to be the bench way. You know what I mean? And I think someone like that, Julius Randle will respond to and play very well. Real quick, um, two more points, and then we could just move on to the next question. I want, I just want to know, do you see him and Mitchell Robinson as a long-term fit together? Because that's a disgusting front court that, I, for me personally, I do not want to ever watch that front court. Mitch cannot, he has not shown me he can shoot a jump shot, and Randall just operates in the post. So, is what way? you think Randall could be effective on this current Nick roster going into next season? Because I don't believe he's going to get moved either. I don't know how if you feel that way, but I don't think he's going to be traded. So would you like to see him be the small ball five off the bench 
or do you really think it's possible that Mitch and him can coexist? The only way for me that him and Mitch can coexist is if Randall really develops that, you know, a, a consistent outside jump shot, you know, and, and is able to pull that outside shot, outside gunshot and gains the respect of, you know, the defenders and respect the amount of league as someone who can knock it down. Uh, you know, last year, I think he shot like 28% from three. It's not always just about the three, right? It's other areas where, you know, right. you got to prove that you can shoot the ball that helps you to spread the floor. To me, that's the only way that they're going to be able to work together because they occupy a lot of the same spaces on the floor. They both occupy that short corner area, which means, you know, the short corner is like between, uh, um, you know, right, the, the box, you know, you have you have the lane and you have the little box outside the lane from the box to the the dunker. Spot. Yeah, the dunker spot from there to, to the to the to the corner three. That's kind of like your short corner. And they both like to occupy that spot. Why? Because they're rebounders, right? And they like to put the ball back. And, um, you know, that's where you get the ball dumped off a lot. So they've both been used to occupying those spots. So they occupy a lot of that same positioning, uh, at least last year they did, while they're on the floor together. And so when uh, point guard is trying to run a screen and roll with Mitch, sometimes Julius Randle is right there. It kind of cuts it off a little bit. You know, it definitely cuts off the lane from the point guard or whatever guard being able to penetrate to the basket. Same thing if Julius Randle uh, is running a, a screen and roll. Now, Julius Randle can also pick and pop, so that helps a little bit. Okay, I think right. if they're going to be on the floor, I, I do not see them as a long-term solution because of that reason, because they occupy so much of the same spot. If they're both there, I think that Tom Thibodeau is going to use Julius Randle from that foul line area a lot. Right. And, and I'm not saying that he's going to be a facilitator with the ball in his hands from that foul line area. If you if you saw the breakdown, he helped to create a lot of plays by setting screens. His screens can use some work, I think. But still, by setting screens, he opened up a lot of lanes for guys to penetrate and then dip it off to Mitchell Robinson or R.J. Barrett or whoever else is down there in those short corners at that time or kick it out to the corner three. You know, by setting those screens, you know, from that foul line area, top of the key area, he's more effective there than Mitch, in my opinion, because players are not going to play off of him. See, with Mitchell Robinson, because he hasn't shown that he can knock down that mid-range jump shot, his defender will play off of him, dip all the way back into the lane. Mm-hmm. Right with Julius Randle, they're not going to dip off of him because he can knock it down. He doesn't shoot it much, but he can knock it down. You know, from that little mid-range shot, you know, he can shoot it. And, you know, he can get the ball and, and bowl his way to the basket. Mm. You know, so I think to to make that work, if you have Julius Randle, you know, occupying a lot of that elbow area, and then you can have uh, Mitchell Robinson, you know, sneak it along that baseline, you know, where you where he might be able to dip into the middle every once in a while. He, he might not have a lot of post moves, but if you get him the ball where he dips in, then he can go up with it. You know, that could be effective and it could help spread the floor and, and you know, maybe work for the time being. Eventually, one of those two guys, I think, if no, if neither one of them develops a jump shot, especially going into next season, you know, by the end of next season, neither one of those guys really have, have shown that they can consistently – 
know, Julius Randle consistently knocking down a three. Uh, Mitchell Robinson just growing his jump shot. I can't see it working out between the two. Um, it's going to be clumsy basketball, I think. You know, agree, agree, because you know that's the that's the one thing. I, I'm glad you spoke on Randall and shed some light on him. I mean, I'm not fully out on Randall. I, I, I love, I like the way he plays the game. He plays hard on offense. He just doesn't play hard on defense, and he doesn't hustle a lot. But I think with Tibbs here, the environment has changed, mm-hmm. and I believe Tibbs will hold all of them accountable. And spe- speaking of Tibbs, this goes right into this next question. Before the final question, um, the next offseason moves. Now, it was noted that David Fisdale had the smallest developmental staff last season. And it was also noted that David Fisdale was the main reason why the Knicks drafted Kevin Knox. And then having Kevin Knox and Frank Nelikina, two projects on the roster with the smallest developmental staff, it's a disaster for, I mean, it, it, it's a recipe for, for disaster so what are you most excited about when it comes to the Knicks offseason pickups as far as management is concerned yeah okay um management like Leon Rose or you talk or or the developmental staff Leon Rose Kenny Payne Mike Woodson what's your overall take on everybody and also just to add for that question who is the player you think that would benefit the most, excluding Mitchell Robinson and R.J. Barrett, from this new coaching staff? Yeah, okay. Um, I love what they've done with the coaching staff. I feel like they put people in place that have specific roles and not just throw somebody out there, but really do have specific roles uh, in the way that they want to reach players. When you talk about Kenny Payne, the first person you're going to look at is Kevin Knox. But then, of course, there's also Julius Randle, right? You know, you talk about – we talk about having that structure on Julius Randle uh, and, and really holding him accountable because if he's here, if he's here, there's, there's – listen, people can say what they want. They can get mad, this and that, and the third. If he's here and no other players come in, he's going to be one of your two top scorers, Right? <laughs> I mean, who else is going to be? Right. Who else is going to be? It's going to be him and R.J. Barrett. So right. if he is here, Tom Thibodeau is going to have to sit with him and R.J. Barrett, in my opinion, and say, listen, we're going to have the type of team that is, you know, we're going to share the wealth as far as when it comes to offense. But we need you two guys to lead the way. You know what I'm saying? You guys got to be my voice. You guys have got to be the ones that take it out there on the court, along with someone like a Taj Gibson. Mm-hmm. Kenny Payne goes a long way when it comes to Julius Randle because he has that relationship from college. Right. right. And, and obviously with Kevin Knox, too. You know what I mean? So I really like the pickup of Kenny Payne because Tom Thibodeau, NBA coach, NBA lifer, you know, he may not have the same connection to the younger player to the college age player like a Kevin Knox Kenny Payne he's coming straight from college he understands how how these guys are thinking Um, you know he's uh, probably a little bit more in touch 
with, you know, just the, the, the younger culture, right? So he can really relate what Tom Thibodeau wants to say to these guys, especially Kevin Knox and Julius Randle, but other young guys as well. I said a couple years ago, teams in the NBA may have to start looking at bringing in like high school people who's coached in high school, who have coached in high school. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you're getting players, especially starting in next year's draft, you might get players that is coming straight out of high school. Young guys who are still developing as men. Right? Uh, someone who's worked in a high school will be great to just help help that person get along, right? Because they understand how high school kids think. They're around high school kids every day, all day, right? You may need someone who's like a, I don't want to say guidance counselor, but yeah, like a guidance counselor who can work with some of these young guys because the NBA is young. Right. Kevin Knox is a guy who mentally is not mature. Right. He has a, you know, you know, he's, he's a big guy, you know, got a strong looking body, but mentally he's young. So someone like Kenny Payne can, I think, help, 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 help relate to these guys and help take Tom Thibodeau's message and impart it on the young guys in a way that they can understand. And I don't mean language, just, just relate it, just, just be relatable to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and obviously he's a developmental guy. So I think he's going to, I mean, I know you said, you know, not Mitch, but he's going to help Mitch, I think. Uh, uh, But Frank Nilekina, Kevin Knox, Julius Randle, Julius Randle, although he's been in the league for a while, because they have a relationship from Kentucky, I think, you know, he's going to help Julius Randle. Um, But I'll get back back to that with Julius Randle. But these young guys, I think Kenny Payne is really going to, help these young guys in my opinion uh, Mike Woodson that's another guy that has a role he's bringing that father figure role right you know what I'm saying he's he's bringing that you know that that just that just like I said the father figure role and, and the guy who you know sit down with you talk with you you know, shoot the shit straight with you and say, listen, you got to do it like this. You got to do it like that. Don't worry about, don't worry about Tibbs screaming and hollering his head off and, and, and his face is turning red, you know, spit coming out of his mouth. Just do what it, just do what it is that you got to do. You know what I'm saying? You know, we're, you know, smooth it over that way. I think that Mike Woodson is a good, he's good at managing egos. That's what he did back in that, with that 2012 2013 Knicks. Look at the look at the look at that team. You had Melo, Jason Kidd, <laughs> freaking Rasheed Wallace. Kenya Martin. Kenya Martin. <laughs> J.R. Smith. Right? I mean, you had some you had some eclectic people on that team a little bit. You know what I mean? And yeah. Mike Whitson did a good job of managing those egos, managing those characteristics managing people and I think that's what he's there for. I think he's going to be really good for Julius Randle. I think he's going to be I mean I think anyone is going to be good with RJ. Yeah, yeah, I'm not worried. RJ is like the last he's the last guy on this roster that I'm really worried about. He, mentality wise, I, I I'm good with RJ. Yeah. I'm, the 
The only two I'm really afraid of, like right now, currently, is like Kevin Knox and Frank Lilakina. Mm-hmm. Only because, you know, all my life the Knicks has been involved in like every goddamn trade known to man. And it seemed like every time the Knicks make a trade, they always lose the trade. And I'm I'm just one of those people who got PTSD. I don't want to see Knox and Frank go. That's that's just me personally. Um but for the final question of the night, and I appreciate you being on the podcast for this, Laura. I, I didn't even know that it was going to take this long. Ah, I apologize. Yeah, it was good, man. Nah, nah, it was good. It was good. Uh, 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 all right. So, it was good. You, you know, th- th- this last question is, is – now, I thought about this question for a minute because I wanted you to um, really give me your take on how you feel about the Knicks next season. And basically, you know, the cap is going to go down next season. Mm-hmm. The NBA has lost a lot of money. They also lost a lot of money due to the fallout with China. We got escrow. First time I ever heard this word about two, three days ago. And player contracts is being affected. For example, Steph Curry contract goes from like $45 million to $25 million. So knowing that the Knicks lost the most money last season, which was reported, and knowing that it might be no fans next season, and also knowing that it's 72 games next season, shorting, and knowing that we play in the toughest division, I believe, in basketball, and we're going to have to play these teams eight times Mm. each. Oh, Mm. my goodness. So what do you think this, like, knowing all of that, what what does it affect the most? Does Does it affect the Knicks' trades? Does it affect the Knicks cap management or does it affect the Knicks the way they drive? What do you think it affects the most as far as the, the money loss and everything going on right now? Yeah. Uh, well, the one thing about the trades, it, it, it will definitely affect the trades, right? Because, you know, depending on what the salary is, what the salary cap comes in for next season, uh, you know, the Knicks, the Knicks should have had, you know, between forty and fifty million dollars in in salary cap space. It might, it could end up being well. They would, st- like, I don't know how it was going to go. Who knows how it was going to go, right? But you know, if they waive players like Bobby Portis, Todd Gibson, Alfred Payton, Wayne Ellington, you know, they can make up about forty million dollars in cap space. Now, that's assuming that the cap was going to be the same. If the cap goes down, then that forty million, you know, you start eating into that forty million dollars. Right, but a player's salary, you know, but then again, players' salaries are going to change, right? Uh, you know, based on how much money teams have available, uh, but it, it will definitely affect what they what they can do in free agency. So that could be, and, and the team is is definitely going to be, for the most part, overhauled, right? You know, if you're going to have, you got you got your guys, you got Frank Nilakina, Kevin Knox. Now, R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson, Dennis Smith Jr., those six players are under contract. They're definitely on the team. Uh-huh. Right? Now, you know, will one of them get traded? Who knows? But they're definitely on the team. Everybody else after that, you know, you're talking about possibly adding nine new players. I think Iggy, I guess Iggy's on the team. You got the two guys who are um, – you know, that Kenny, Wooten. Kenny Wooten and Jared Harper. 
right? So you're going to have eight roster spots or something like that, you know, where you're going to add players. The one thing I like about this coaching staff, though, is with the way this staff is set up with Tom Thibodeau, Mike Woodson, you know, the other guys they got on the staff, I feel like they have a leadership structure within the coaching staff where they can take some chances on some players. You know what I mean? Uh, like, like the way the Knicks were able to take a chance with J.R. Smith, you know, with Rasheed Wallace. I think they can take some chances on some players that, you know, you might be a little bit afraid of. DeMarcus Cousins. You know what I'm saying? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> if he's cheap, maybe. Uh, what's the dude in Memphis that went that, that was sent down to the G League? Oh, um, um Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson. Um, Right. If 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 Memphis was like, yo, you know what? We want to get rid of them. I think they have the they have the strength within their coaching staff to be able to take some chances on some guys like that. You know, now, do they have it within the culture of the team itself? Maybe not. But I think they have some strong leadership with the coaching staff where they can take those kind of chances. Now, can you get some strong leadership on the team? It might be early to take some of those chances because your team hasn't developed, you know, into a strong unit, you know, with strong leadership within the players. But with the coaching staff, I think you could take some of those chances. Um, So, you know, I think the Knicks will have to get creative if that salary cap goes down in the way that they try to bring in talent, you know, and but knowing that they have a strong coaching staff, you might be able to bring some talent in by taking chances on some guys. You know, um, so, 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 so yeah, I, yeah. So, so I think that's one. Of, that's probably the biggest area that's going to be affected is how they're going to be able to maneuver in the off season. It could help them too. Let's not get that wrong. It could help the Knicks because even though you know everyone's salary is going to go down, so they're still going to be one of the teams with the most cap space. You may have some teams that are trying to waive players so that they can save money make moves so that they can save money, which means some talent could end up falling to the Knicks. Mm. You know, the Knicks have put it out there. You know, they've put it out there that they're willing to, you know, eat, eat some salary, take it into their cap, you know, uh, absorb players' salaries in their cap. Now, I think they put that out there specifically for Chris Paul. Right, because if there's a player, if there's a player that you can put out there on the floor that can hone in Julius Randle, that can make sure RJ Barrett is getting the ball when he needs the ball, that can really take Tom Thibodeau's message and make sure the team is running running it. It's only a couple point guards in the NBA that can do it. Point guards. There's other players, you know, but there's only a couple point guards in the NBA that can do it. Chris Paul is one of them. Rajon Rondo is one of them, I think. Both of them as Hall of Fame point guards. I, I would, I would welcome Chris Paul. But if I'm getting Chris Paul, the reason why I'm getting Chris Paul is to make Knox, Frank, RJ, Mitch better players. I'm not really getting. I'm not trying to get Chris Paul to become the savior. And then this ties right into the last part of this last question. And if there's one move. That you'll look, you'll look at your screen. You'll be like, "Why the hell did the Knicks do this nonsense?" If it's one move that you could tell Nick Mason that you would just be disgusted with by the Knicks this offseason, what would be that one move? 
Sheesh, this offseason, one move where I would really be disgusted with the Knicks. <laughs> well, it, it kind of includes Chris Paul, to tell you the truth. I would not mind Chris Paul being here, but if the Knicks give up Kevin Knox and draft picks, I'll be pissed off. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I, I will. If they give up, you know what? I would like to see Chris Paul play with Julius Randle. But if you got to include Julius Randle in the trade because you want to have salary cap space, you know, to be able to make other moves, I get it. I'm not, uh, I'm not worried about that. But if they give up a young player, Kevin Knox, Frank Nilakina, you know, I, you know, I'll, I'll even say Dennis Smith Jr., but I'm, I'm not too crazy worried about Dennis Smith Jr. either. But if you give up one of those young guys and a draft pick, <laughs> I'm gonna be, you know, I'm gonna be a little bit upset, man, because I understand what he can do for the team and how he can help the team, right? But you're looking at Chris Paul as a two-year rental, most likely, mm-hmm. and then you're hopefully giving the team over to a, a a younger point guard, right? That he that he's helped to train, you know, right. and. So I, I, that's one thing that would really, and it's not just Chris Paul, but any, any any of these other aging superstars. If they, you know, if they give up young players and draft picks, but I say Chris Paul specifically because OKC might be might be like, you know, the salary cap is going down. You know, let's you know, let's get this forty million dollars out of here so that we can free up some money. You know, because we don't want this, that, and the other thing. Um, and I can understand if you if you're gonna get something, you got to give something up. But we got to be smart about it, man. We got to be smart about it. And everything that I'm hearing is that they kind of like Kevin Knox and look at him as a young guy, you know, uh, that young piece. You know, and it's crazy because as Knicks fans, we smack. Kevin Knox around because mm-hmm. we mad at him because he can't do everything that they want him to do, you know, in his first two years. And then as soon as he goes to OKC and he starts cooking, people are gonna say, "Damn, we traded him for Chris Paul, who's on his last uh, in the NBA." You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, that's one thing that would that would have me upset if they give up a lot of assets for Chris Paul. Uh, I'm not crazy about you hear about trades about Victor Oladipo. I'm not crazy about no Victor Oladipo. You know what I'm saying? I'm not crazy about that at all. You know, at all. Uh, I don't, I, want, I don't yeah. want him. I don't want Paul George. I don't want who else they. I I, I would consider Russell Westbrook, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of on the fence with it, along with Chris Paul and. Michael Conley, I would love if they trying to exchange Julius Randle, but all in all, I think just for me personally, Sim, honestly, I don't think the Knicks is going to be nowhere near the playoffs next season. I think they should just play the kids finally for the first time in about three years and just see where it goes. I don't, I don't, I don't even think Chris Paul will save us next season. Not, not from this eighteen beat down. <laughs> you know, I uh, the, the thing is, I don't think the Knicks, I don't think Leon Rose and them guys 
Yo, I think that they're like, I'm not, I don't think that they're saying we got to try to make the, we got to make the playoffs next year. But I think they're like, we're going to try to put a team out there that can be very competitive. I really do. I think that Tom Thibodeau likes veteran type players. And I think Leon Rose maybe agrees with him. You know what I'm saying? So I think they're going to try. I think they're going to try again, which they tried to do it last year, but it probably wasn't executed well. Right? They try to put together a team that can really be competitive, fight for that eighth seed, but leave them flexible. I think they're going to try to do the same thing this year. Now, in their defense, where they messed up is they did not bring in a point guard. Like a, a true to life point guard. I really do think if the if last year's Knicks would have had a point guard that can really run things out there, I'm not gonna say they would have made the playoffs, but they would have been a much, much better team, I think. Way more like, functional. You know, yeah. yeah. And so if they can find a way to bring in a point guard, you talked about Mike Conley. Thing about Mike Conley is next year is his last year on his contract. So I don't think Utah is going to be, especially with the way everything is going right now, they're probably not going to be crazy to crazy to get rid of them and say, well, let's bring in, you know, let, let's trade them and bring in a Julius Randle who has another year on the contract. Not that Julius Randle has a crazy contract. I think he has a good, you know, I think it's a good contract and any team that has them can get out of the contract. But I don't think, you know, they made the playoffs with Mike Conley. Right. Uh, his $30 million comes off the books next year. 30 plus million comes off the books next year. So I'm thinking that they would probably be like, you know what? We'll just rock out with him next year and then let his contract come off the books the year after that. And then we got, you know, we can, we can do something. Now, if they say now, if they want to do a trade with my colleague, you know, it's something I want to think about. Definitely. I mean, I'll take Mike Conley. If they go and give up the twenty third pick in the draft and Mike Conley, be be my guess. (laughs) But um, Sim, man, I want first of all, I want to thank you, man, for joining me on the pod, man, for so long. Once again, y'all apologize. I didn't know it was going to take this long, but. That's um, good, just, bro. Yeah, man. I, I just wanted to hear everything you had to say because, you know, you get great insight. I'll listen to every YouTube video that you come out with. Listen to everything. I even take notes, man. I even, Trust me, I take notes and I try to remember some of the stuff that you be saying. I, I even got some of the um, pictures that you post snapshotted on my phone just for my notes. So I, I appreciate everything. I appreciate you um Talking, talking to me about your past and how you love coaching and, and how you got into the Knicks. So I appreciate everything, Sam, man. God bless you, man. Um, yeah, man, I, I appreciate it, man. I'd love to come back anytime. It, definitely, man. For sure, I'll try to definitely get you back in January. Um, okay. Around my birthday, I turned 31 years old, January 25th. Right. So I'll I, I try to get you around my birthday, but I want you know, let let Nick Nation know where they can find you. Um, when's your next show? And, and and also tell them about the front stoop too, because I didn't mention that earlier. But that's also another good channel that you also do. So let yeah. the people know. Son. Yeah. Uh, uh, before I even do that, my birthday is January twenty eighth. So you know, we got a birthday oh, oh, kind of close to up. each other. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. 
man. Yeah, man. But um, yeah, you know, people can find me. You can go to YouTube, youtube.com slash nothing but Nicks. Right? It's it, there's no G in nothing but Nicks, it's just nothing. N-O-T-H-I-N but Nicks. Uh, you can go to nbkfam.com. Now that, that site is being revamped. You know, so you know, there's some old information up there, but that's being revamped pretty soon. It's gonna be up and popping. Now, Sportscaster, you can go to sportscaster.com slash Simeon Russell or slash NBK. That's where we got the NBK network. And then of course YouTube got dot com slash front stoop live. You know, I'm I'm kinda of, kinda of be all over the place. So there's a lot of place or you know you can just go on Google and type in nothing but Nicks and YouTube will probably come up. All right, man. You know, but but man, I appreciate you. I appreciate you having me on, man. It, it, it's been a pleasure. Really appreciate it. I appreciate it anytime you come on, you know, when you jump into the show and stuff like that. Uh definitely appreciate that. Yes, you know, so anytime I can pay it forward, man, I'm appreciative. Yo, man, thank you, son, once again, man. And and definitely, I gotta um shoot me how you get onto your channel again because I remember you saying you had like something happened crazy. So I would like for you to um shoot me how to like get inside of the um video stream. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Cool. I do that. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Nick Nation, man. Stay. Of the State of the New York Knicks podcast, episode 116 is finished. The OG Sam, I appreciate you coming on the pod. Nothing yep. but Knicks, man. Nick Nation.